Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I must say, definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. But what if they're digital annuals, Dan? Then they really don't count. (laughs) This is the new world we may find ourselves in. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for a special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. So if you want to learn everything we know about Spidey, why not subscribe to our show starting back with the first season? But on today's episode, Dan, you and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 42, Legacy Number 843, which was written by Nick Spencer with art by Ryan Otley, which was originally released on March 25th, 2020. All right, Mark, let's get into talking about this issue. I think I think we need to talk more broadly about this issue of Amazing Gog, because this is not an Amazing Spider-Man issue. This is like more akin to the point ones we were getting during the Hunted storyline. And I guess my big question to you is like, can a book like Amazing Spider-Man sustain or feature side stories like this that are like backstory things like those point ones in the main title without them actually being point ones? It's a very good question, Dan. I mean, I think, you know, on one breath, no, I <laughs> like to, to kill the momentum like like this. I mean, we've been talking a lot about the momentum of of this arc or or the broader narrative of Amazing Spider-Man, I think for the better part of a few months. I mean, you know, we 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 seem to be going in a certain direction during the absolute carnage storyline and how they, those issues tied into the kindred storyline. And, you know, everything seemed to be set up from, you know, to have some big reveals. And then I feel with each subsequent issue, we've gotten further and further away from that to the point where, you know, I don't even know exactly what, I don't want to say not what series I'm reading, but where, where this is all really going anymore. So from that standpoint, no, like if if you want to if you, if you're trying to build the long game as as certain creators like to say, doing these kind of like one offs are a surefire way to kind of derail your storytelling. At the same token, I thought this was a really well done issue, as were a lot of those point ones that we got during Craven's last hunt, and it's like I enjoyed this issue. I enjoyed reading this issue more than I've 
enjoyed a lot of the other stories that we've been getting in Amazing Spider-Man that have focused on Spider-Man over the last few months. So, you know, like, you know, are we sacrificing quality uh, for quantity? I don't know, Dan. I mean, like, I, I, I wish it was an easy answer to this. I, I, I would love I would love to have quality stories that also tied into a larger arc of, of storytelling here. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a very different version of this where this was like a four or five page part of an issue that filled in the backstory of Gog. And I think, you know, I think this thing is beautiful because it takes its time and we get to see the great visuals and build out Gog's story. But it's also not as like in depth as say something like the Gibbons, you know, I could see very well see this condensed to be part of this Spider-Man story that is being told was being told last issue. You know, and we get a couple pages, but none of it moves the momentum forward. I think we literally end this issue with a nearly identical image to the previous issue's final image. If it's not the same artwork. Yeah, I think it's going to really wrinkle people. I already heard from our friend Alan Shurstall, who said that this issue is just another example of no momentum on this book. And... I can't really disagree with him, even though I really like this story. It, it's one of the things where you really have to kind of balance like quality and quality storytelling and narrative momentum in sequential comics are two wholly separate and distinct things. And, you know, we're going to give a review score on this at the end. And I'm not even really sure what I'm going to say right now. And I'm hoping we can kind of push each other a little bit because, you know, if I'm giving this thing a review score on it as a single issue, I'm really digging it. You know, as as a person who has grown increasingly frustrated with the momentum of the series, I'm going to have to say something very, very, very different. Yeah. I mean, and then not to get get off onto another tangent here, but I mean, let's let's just acknowledge it. I mean, depending on when you're listening to this, whether you're a Patreon subscriber or just listening to this in our regular feed, which is, you know, released six weeks after we recorded this. With the state of comics right now, print, digital, et cetera, right now, like who even knows where comics are going to be <laughs> in in a few weeks time or a few months time in terms of the story that's being told. So like, and I know like, obviously when this issue was being created, you know, you can't expect our creators to have the foresight that we would have some kind of unique once every century kind of situation that would completely just, you know, destroy the world order for an uh, indefinite amount of time. But with that being said, Dan, like you're talking about momentum or no momentum, as Alan calls it, like if this is like the last issue of Spider-Man that we get for a bit because of this pause that might be happening between the distribution of comics and print and what have you, like talk about like what the heck, you know what I mean? Like we're like, like <laughs> we, we took a pause and, and ended on Gog. <laughs> I mean, th- this is more strange, I think, than the pause taken for the 9-11 issue, Amazing Spider-Man 36, because like, if you don't remember, the issue preceding that is the one where Aunt May finally learned that Spider-Man and Peter Parker are one and the same. That was like an instantaneous turnaround and and we right back into it but uh, yeah i mean this is like kind of like way out there gog is is the final issue of i mean let's just like maybe they even stopped doing print issues uh, you know single print issues of spider-man i i don't think that's the reality of what we're gonna get like but like there there could be a a universe where this is the final print issue of amazing spider-man and what a weird way to go out yeah definitely so i mean Again, I only bring that up to the point of like, yes, I mean, while while this is 
when we get into the specifics of the story itself, I think this is a well-told, well-executed, beautiful-looking issue. I think you do kind of, like, have to, with as a creator, I mean, you know, are you, in this in this world, are you really afforded these kind of, like, sidesteps to, to kind of do your thing? I mean, I, I, I almost used a kind of unflattering term, a crude and unflattering term about it, but the fact of the matter is, like, okay, it's like, this is a really nice story that Spencer put together, but like, did he really have to do this? Like who, who, who is truly benefiting from this? Is this just Ben, is this just Spencer scratching an itch in terms of like his own knowledge of the character and being like, Oh, you know, we never, we never really got a Gog story. And I, I, you know, I want to be the one to, to, to give this guy an origin. It's like, okay, but no one, no one was out there clamoring for Gog, you know, like this is not like one of Spidey's classic rogues that for whatever reason, it's just never really got a fleshed out story. It's not a Doc Ock. It's not an Electro, whatever. So if that's what you're going to, if that's what you're going to basically put your effort into who, who, who are you serving? Are you serving yourself or you're actually trying to serve your audience in that? And I think that's, that's a legitimate question that needs to be raised with creators sometimes. Like you can't always do things to kind of, make yourself pleased. You have to kind of keep in mind that you you have an obligation, you have a responsibility to tell a story, a larger story that that is inclusive of the most amount of people that you can. I almost regret giving Gog as much attention as we gave him on the show. I mean, he became a regular cast member on the show for a little while. And, and I feel like I like in some way contributed to the cultural cachet of Gog. Well, the irony with that was because he was such a nothing character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and that, that being said, I love this storyline. But then I have to ask myself, like, you know, we're the hardcore, Mark. I mean, we're so, you know, we're, we're, we're hardcore in that we even remember who Gog is. But like to get into some of the content here, Spider-Man in the beginning of the books calls Gog his, quote, personal giant monster, end quote. And, you know, that he keeps reappearing and villains keep using him. But that's not necessarily true. Like Gog has only really appeared in three different Spider-Man stories as far as I can tell, including his the first one we saw him. The the one in, in Spider-Man where Eric Larson drew him that's featured in this book and the Lifeline tablet storyline or a Spider-Man Lifeline, that's three. Not, not enough to make him a substantial character. So if I'm just an average person who doesn't know the full history of Spider-Man and hasn't read those obscure titles, and I would consider Amazing Spider-Man 102 and 103 obscure, you know, I, I'm reading this, there's no editor's notes throughout the entire thing. Like, I'm just wondering, why are we spending so much time on this giant monster? Isn't it just a giant monster? You know, I mean, maybe this will ultimately, like, lead into the third chapter of the story where Gog, you know, is really an interesting character. But, like, I have to think that the average person reading this is like, what the heck are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, calling him Spider-Man's personal giant monster, I guess, is akin to calling like Mindworm like his his wacky next door neighbor or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and and again, I appreciate it. Like, boy, you know, fan service me to hell. Like, I I I Gog is a is a good punchline for us, you know. But like, I again, you're right. I mean, it's like, did we need this? I I, I don't know. But regardless of whether we need it or not, let's talk about how good it is. Yeah, what we get here is if is as if you couldn't tell from our our rambling our pr- prologue here. But you know, we we get an honest to goodness Gog story now. Gog, who has always been projected as this kind of 
mindless monster for the most part. Not, you know, not, I, I, I never got the sense that he was malicious. It's always just kind of like he's like a giant thoughtless monster, I guess is the best way to put it. I, you know, like, I think I think the characterization in here is spot on. Right. Like Spider-Man says in Gog's first appearance that he seems to be just following orders and that he seems like a benevolent character and he's like a giant dog. And I think that's really how Nick Spencer treated it. Yeah. Yeah. But like you, you get this very like sincere and emotional story about, you know, basically this, this monster being found by this, this warring race of, of people and this, and this little boy. And, you know, they take, they take Gog in and, and raise Gog as part of the family. And then, you know, war basically comes to the, to these people and, and Gog is separated from them. And it's all about his journey back to these people and, and trying to like, you know, find who, you know, find his true self, I guess you could say. So, I mean, it's, it's, and it's well done. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you, you, you feel utter sympathy for this creature that otherwise has been a punchline. And like, I, you know, found myself feeling really rattled emotionally by what this, by, by what Gog was put through by Spencer here. I mean, it's, it's very upsetting in the way that the Gibbon story was upsetting, you know, like you finally kind of wanted to sympathize and feel for these characters. And instead, you know, they're just basically being tormented by the creators here in this, you know, kind of unfair way. And, and I don't know what, it, I mean, what, how did you react viscerally to it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely elicited a, a response from me emotionally. I don't think it's quite on the level of the Gibbon story, which I think is a lot more of a gut punch. And, and maybe that gut punch is yet to come in the next issue of amazing Spider-Man, whenever that is for me, so first of all, there was an emotion attached to this that's completely irrelevant of Amazing Spider-Man, which is this is an honest to goodness issue of Invincible. Like it just looks like Invincible and it reads like Invincible. Like this is something straight out of like, you know, Otley and Kirkman's run on that book. I mean, even the design of the aliens in their city looks like something straight out of like the the like International Space Headquarters in Invincible. And that was like so lovely to see. I mean, it's kind of what I always said Otley's great at, like monsters and aliens. And, you know, it feels like Spencer kind of threw him a bone and was just like, go wild. And if you read Otley's Twitter account, he says this was his favorite issue to draw yet. And I think it's because it's very safely in his you know, purview as as an artist. But, you know, uh, to, to the emotional content of this, you know, it, 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 Gog is written straight up like like a dog. And, and the, the really the kind of broad beats of the story are like any kind of abandoned dog kids movie that you've seen. You know, it's the I welcome the dog in. But then society tells me I need to leave the dog behind and go on to less childish things. Or uh, in this case, it's war. And, you know, and, and there's some personal loss at the end. And the dog is the kind of like uh, innocent person that suffers alongside it. And Goggett doesn't really have much narrative momentum in this. He's kind of a passive observer, but it is heartbreaking. And, you know, I think it's just kind of a chance to allow Otley to be a strong visual storyteller throughout the issue. I think as someone who, you know, I had a pet growing up. I'm, I know you have your cats right now. And, you know, like I, I think like that kind of affection that you have for you know, fur babies or whatever you want, you know, whatever your, 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 your term de jour is like, I think that is completely reflected in, in this issue in the way that like kind of seeing it through Gog's eyes, like 
you know, I guess it's kind of what I would want to believe as a pet owner, my pet is feeling, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I think like, yeah, you're right. It's not quite the level of gut punch that the given issue is because like, you know, with the given, that's an actual person that, you know, like can tangibly feel these things, you know what I mean? Whereas we, you know, we are not at the, I mean, we assume that we know what animals feel, but we don't know per se. So maybe that takes a little bit of the edge off. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it, but I but I think kind of looking at it from that perspective, if you kind of choose to believe that your, you know, your your pets, your fur babies, whatever, are part of your actual family, then then something like this is really kind of devastates, especially when he's eventually reunited with the boy and, and his family at the at the end of this issue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think there's some kind of like smart commentary in here, too, about like how we treat animals, whether it be storing Gog in the cargo section of the spaceship. I mean, the the kind of easy analogy there is how dogs are put into crates and stored in the belly of airplanes when people fly across the country. I mean, people are starting to bring them as, I guess, like emotional support animals on planes. But that's kind of a cheat way around what we normally do with animals, which is take a terrified being that can't understand what's going on and shove them in a dark space underneath the plane. And, you know, I think this kind of very clearly um, illustrates that. And then there's the kind of stuff with Craven the Hunter where his nature goes from being a loving domesticated pet to a hunting giant vicious creature that ends up fighting Spider-Man. And that like by no will of his own, he's kind of destroyed by Spider-Man and left to die um, the same way that like, you know, I don't know if you're watching uh, Tiger King, Mark. I, I have not yet. Uh, I, I hear everyone talking about it, though, so I'm sure it's inevitable that I will be watching it at some point. Well, I'll make a reference to it that's just kind of a reference to like things that happen all the time, which is that, like in, in this in this show, you know, there's this guy who owns like 60 some giant cats and lets them loose on like, you know, the neighborhood. And so the, the SWAT team is to come in whoever and kill all of the cats. And you see mounds of dead giant cats. And it's none of those cats fault. Like they were let free by their owner and they were trained in some way. The same way that Gog is being vicious and goes up against Spider-Man by no fault of his own. We know he's a loving creature that has had his whole entire existence flipped. And I think dogs and stuff like that too, you have like abused animals that attack people and are put down if only because of how they've been treated, you know, when, when if treated differently, they could be a very loving animal. And you see that with like pit bulls and stuff like that, these campaigns to kind of, uh, you know, get people to accept other natures of dogs. And so I thought in regards to animal commentary, this issue had a lot to offer in, uh, in that regard. And it's a great example of using fiction and fantasy to make real world commentary. Any other plot beats that you want to mention specifically on this one? I mean, I I feel like it's kind of hard to go, you know, too granular on this because I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, even in its, I mean, I know we talked about it broadly from the start in terms of the narrative structure, but I think even like within the issue itself, it's, it's, it's a pretty broad universal story that can kind of, emotionally relate to in one way or another. So is there any other specific plot beats that that you found interesting here? I do think it's important to mention that like the tablet, you know, shows back up here at the end. It's kind of attacked on, I think, but it does like feed its way back into what I imagine will be the overarching story here, which is that like this whole war seemed to have been 
triggered by the lifeline tablet, you know, being reintroduced into this world and, you know, these warring aliens fighting over its powers. And so ultimately it is destroyed by the child who gets blown up on this horrifying full page splash of him, I guess, taking a grenade in front of Gog and his, his mother, I, I assume it's his mother destroys the the tablet and and tasks Gog with scattering it back into the universe from which it came, and you know keeping one of the pieces to himself protected from everybody else. So we're getting, you know, at the very least, a motivation for Gog to be fighting against Boomerang and Spider Man in some way. I don't know how all this wraps itself up in one issue, but like th- to me, that's the smallest bit of like plot incrementalism that we're getting in this issue is now we know why he's guarding this tablet. And I mean, it, it is, you know, again, kind of in terms of elevating things that I wasn't certain were going to be elevated. I mean, like, you know, making the lifeline tablet basically be like this intergalactic monkey's paw is kind of an interesting, interesting evolution for it. Right. I mean, you know, this thing that kind of started as not a, obviously not a punchline, but just kind of like, you know, it was the fountain of youth for, for the, you know, the Magyas and, and Silvermane. Now all of a sudden it's like, you know, the source of, you know, intergalactic warfare. I mean, that's, that, that just seems like a big leap for it. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Um, I did want to give a shout out to some like the, art. I think we've mentioned Otley a little bit here. I think it's really great work of his. There's one panel where he's like redoing like scenes from Spider-Man 22 and 23 with Eric Larson's artwork where he kind of adjusts his pencils a little bit and it looks a little bit more like Eric Larson if only in the design. So you've got like Vulture holding machine guns and Otto in his like white lab coat and I thought that panel was great. He's kind of a little curvier I think than than he usually is and that like that era of Otto at least to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I thought he kind of perfectly captured Eric Larson there and, and that that definitely gave me a, a chuckle. And and I like the bit where Gog is kind of buried in the swamp right in the savage land after Spider-Man murders him. Let's be clear. Spider-Man murders him. And he kind of crawls out of his grave as rain falls down on him. And it's kind of like a like a, a Craven's Last Hunt parallel, I think. I mean, I don't know if it's intentional, but I definitely read it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, Otley totally hits this one out of the park. I mean, as you, as you noted, this was totally in his wheelhouse, too. I, I, I never read Invincible, but like just this... I was definitely transported to a different world here. So it makes sense that you you recognize where that world was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, you know, here we are at the end of this, possibly the final Amazing Spider-Man for some time. We're going to just keep doing these, I guess, if they would go digitally. And I know that some people may fall behind because they only want to buy it in print. But I mean, we're going to keep up with it if they are releasing it, even if it goes against my feelings about this so what do we think about issue 42 what grade are you giving this thing again i really liked the content but am frustrated by the flow i i uh, i might regret i'm gonna give it a b because i you know like i like i said i like I, I enjoyed reading this and and i i could find myself especially now that i have a digital copy of it going back and 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 taking a look at it again and just kind of bringing in the art uh, absorbing the art more than maybe I would have if if I just had this in print but yeah I I, I it might have been higher if this was actually within the flow of a story itself what about you 
Yeah, I'm going to give it a B as well. That's exactly what I was thinking. And, you know, it's the kind of thing, like, if I'm being totally cynical about this, Mark, it feels like we're treading water so that this kindred reveal can just land solidly at 50. Like, whatever the planning is, like, we needed an issue to fill and why not tell Gog's story? Like, uh, that's me being super cynical. Because I did like the story a lot. Well, the good news is we'll we'll probably get Amazing Spider-Man number 50 at some point in 2022 now. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until 2022, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you then. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us for our review of Amazing Spider-Man volume 5, number 42. Dan, what's coming down the pike for our show now? Yeah, Mark. Well, next week we'll be premiering the third episode of our season four content. Oh, that's the one where we're going to be talking about all the forgettable guys from this era of Spider-Man, right? You know, the the, the bad guys like Hydro-Man and the Fusion. And I can't even think of some of these guys because they're forgettable, Dan. Who, who, who are we going to be bringing up? It, it's not even the cool version of Fusion, which I didn't. I, I guess there's a cool version of Fusion. I guess are we talking about like the Paul Jenkins, Mark Buckingham version or? Yeah, that one's actually cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the less less cool. All all of the villains that you love from like the Marv Wolfman, Denny O'Neill eras, I guess. <laughs> Yay. That's going to be fun to make fun of all these guys. Absolutely. I, I am getting my jokes ready. <laughs> so did you guys know that you can join in the conversation with us too? just call nine red goblin and leave us a message about the show. We'd love to hear from you and you can hear your voice on the show. If you call in with your thoughts on all the forgettable guys by Sunday, May 17th, we may feature your message at the start of the show. So don't forget it's nine red goblin and be sure to leave your name and where you're calling from. Speaking of Patreon questions, the best way to get your questions answered by us on the show is by joining our Patreon. Just click on the link in the podcast description or head over to AmazingSpiderTalk.com. This week, our Patreon subscribers can check their Patreon-exclusive podcast feed for a special review of the latest Amazing Spider-Man. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, we still think, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Patreon-exclusive episodes, Spider-Slack, and mailbag episodes. And depending on your tier, you will also be entered in our monthly raffle, where you can win some great Spider-Man-related merchandise. And at $10 a month, you gain access to our seasonal commissions. We'll send you artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our patrons. This time, we've gotten an awesome commission from Max Fiamara recreating Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And this week, Nick drew us an awesome image depicting all the forgettable guys in an homage to John Romita and Ron friends. So you'll have to tune in next week for that stunning reveal. So check out the Patreon and help support the continued existence of our show. If you want to tune into that next episode, know that you can always enjoy our show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or your podcast player of choice. We'd love to have you along for our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future. Just head on over to amazingspidertalk.com for all the details about where to subscribe. Mark. Speaking of subscribing to things, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. You can always find my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And if you want to look at my journey in collecting every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, you could always check out my blog, ChasingAmazingBlog.com. Dan, what do you got going on? 
what do I got going on? I got a lot going on. I'm over on Twitter at, at sup spider talk talking about Spider-Man all the time, but I'm also talking about Spider-Man in our amazing spider slack community as well. If you're looking for people to talk Spider-Man with, Head on over to our episode's description and click on the link to join the amazing Spider Slack. It's my favorite place to chill and talk about Spider-Man when I'm not talking with Mark. So that should be really exciting. And also, you know, on a side note, this is not related to me directly, but go check out our sister podcast, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, as they dive through some forgotten tales of Spider-Man's past and present and future. Awesome. A special thank you again to Rick Coast, our amazing, spectacular, adjectiveless web of editor who cut together this very episode. But Mark, let's bring things to a close with a motto we're always sure to remember, no matter whether comics are being printed or not. Take it away, Mark. Yeah, this is true no matter what, Dan. With great podcasts, there must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't miss the next installment.